Alrighty then, I'm going to get started by myself. <laughs> There's no one else is here yet, but that's okay. Uh, hopefully some people will join in. And as you all know, I have no problem having a nice good rant all by myself. So today we're going to be talking about money. Oh, looks like I've got someone joining. Dominic, what's up man? Good to see you. Alrighty. I was just getting started by myself. Like yes. <laughs> How's it going? Good. So I was just going to do my little starting rant and then we'll get into it. Um, just do the new thing. Thanks for joining, brother. So today we're, we're talking about money. And this isn't talking about money as in a how to get rich and be wealthy conversation. But we're going to be talking about money because I have almost never met somebody who isn't significantly emotionally impacted by money to the point where it controls their decision making. You know, it's there's very few people on the planet who can make career choices without being heavily impacted by money. Very few people who can thoroughly enjoy an experience without thinking about money. And there are some people who actually put money at the very center of their lives, where everything they do is done to serve the God of money. <clears throat> and I want to look at that today. I want to look at whether or not that's such a great idea, <clears throat> whether or not serving money and worshiping it like a God <clears throat> brings all the happiness that's promised in that particular church, whether it really does uh, lead to satisfaction and contentment, whether financial security is actually a thing and even when it's achieved if it doesn't really feel so secure on and on <clears throat> but mostly i just want this to be an open discussion about what money is and how it affects us it's something it, this is really personal for me like i went through huge self-development over the last 10 years and the the one kind of major belief that i never thought i'd make progress on was the money one like even when I finally got over my fear of talking to strangers or being honest with bosses or finally started taking care of my body, all these things that were being problems for many years, the money one just seemed impossible. Um, but that's changed for me over the last few years a little bit, and I want to talk about that. Let's start by having a look at uh, what is money. Let's just clean the slate and define money see what it is um peter what's up man good to see you um so we're just getting into this conversation and we're just going to start talking about what money is so i want you guys just have a think about it what would you use to how would you define money what is money okay who wants to have a go at it Trust me, there's no wrong answers here. Peter, let me bring you on the line now. Unmute you. What's up, man? Hey, guys. You just okay, okay. Oh, nice. Okay. So, have a crack. Um, well, money is, is currency, what we use to buy stuff. It's a means. For us to to get what 
The more we have over it, we, we can exchange it for more stuff. Experiences, or you can buy even a, a, a status, gives you power. It depends how you look at it. Okay, so there's a couple of key points coming there. Um, I, I really, I think one of the key points that you're making that we'll be talking about today is the more of it you have, the more you can get. This idea that a higher quantity of money means what, a higher quality of life or more stuff, better stuff? Um, more access to stuff. Ah. Now, look at that, that particular point there, because that's what we're going to be talking about today. How money is access. How we, money isn't just money, it's something else. It's access to something. <clears throat> so I want you to notice that I really want you, everybody, you know, whether you're on the call or watching the, the replay at this point in time, just think about what is money to you? What is it? Not just what is it in terms of notes and coins and numbers on a computer screen, but what is it? What's the meaning of it to you? What what value do you place on it? One of the things I want to check in with you, Peter, is it seems like it was. This is reading between the lines a little bit, but that there's a value in money. That the more of it you have, the more access to value you have. Would that line up with your beliefs around money? Yes, yes. I believe if I would have more money, uh, I could do more of the things I like. Um, I would not be limited to what, what I can do. Uh, I wouldn't have to have a job. Um, I could go to flight school and I don't know, travel around and... So it's almost Most like, you know, I think of like security clearance in the White House or whatever. Like the more money you have, the higher your clearance, you know, the less restricted you are with access to things. Yes. So it's not just access to things, but redu reducing, uh, reducing, reduction of money means more limitation doesn't it? I yes. have to do more things I don't want to do. That kind of thought? Um, kind of. Um, I think I'm lucky enough to not have to do stuff I don't like. But still, I would like to do some things that I cannot do because I don't have enough money. So in that sense, money also becomes an authority figure in your life, doesn't it? It determines the limit of how much you can do and also gives some prescription about some things that you must do, like have a job. So I want you guys to just notice that. And whatever it is you believe about money, I want, to know, I want you to notice how strongly you believe it. 
for most people, their, their beliefs around money are strong enough to be called fact. There's no doubt attached to it. Like, uh, Peter, you've, you've, I think, quite um, amply demonstrated how many people see money as, as that access. I can do more of the stuff I want if I have more money. I'm restricted if I don't. Some people even go further, especially people who, who sort of know poverty, that under a certain amount of money, not only are you restricted, but you're punished. You, know, you endure hardship and suffering as a direct result of the numbers in your bank account being below a certain number. Yeah. So we get this kind of spectrum of access from that full access, like never have to work and can go to flight school and do whatever the fuck I want. That kind of dream life of money through to the middle, which is I can only do some of the stuff I want and the rest of the time I have to do something I don't want so that I can do some of the stuff that I want. That kind of working, I guess you call it like working class level of money. And then there's poverty. Like not only can I not do anything, but I'm in pain directly as a result of the amount of money. So we've got that kind of belief around money. Dominic, we've got something else to say. Dominic, do you mind if I bring you on the line? Is that cool? Sure. Cool. Let me just, uh, Peter, Peter, I'll just mute you there. Mm. So Dominic, tell me about your thoughts around money, man. For me, it's just like, yeah, I, I was like traveling the world and actually in, in different countries, like it really depends where you are from. Like I was freelancing in Switzerland and I was like earning compared to other countries, like a shitload of money. So I could live in India for a few bucks, like for, for a few hours, like uh, of work in, in a month. So it's actually not about something that has a real value, but we really attach kind of a value to that thingy. And yeah, in other countries you can be rich and in our countries or like wherever we are, um, we have like this kind of attachment we have to that thing. And for me, it's like, I hate money kind of because it's like a necessary thing. Um, but still, yeah, you can have, like in your country, somewhere else you can be rich. All this thing, like the economic, economic value of money is just like this this whole system is just like man freaks me out a little bit <laughs> that's yeah we're getting um, closer to where i want to go with this today i want to open people's minds now one of the things i also noticed with traveling is that money the same money as you take it around the globe has different value and you can know that kind of in your head before you've gone to different countries, but until you've actually lived there and spent that money and seen the difference it makes. You know, I remember going to, to Thailand. I was like, it feels like I'm playing Monopoly. Like the money doesn't even matter. I can just throw it around. I, it's so, so much more valuable here than it was back home. I can get same stuff and absolutely high quality stuff better than I get back home. It was hard for my brain to understand how that's possible. How can this scuba diving trip be cheaper here than it is in New Zealand when in fact the one here is even better. I don't understand how that value can change. Um, and that's when the, the, the mindset starts opening up like 
how valuable is money actually if it can change between countries for the same product or same service? Mm -hmm. What is that product or service actually worth? Which one of those things is true? Are either of them true in this kind of concept? So it sounds like a bit of that's come up for you. For me, actually, money is kind of worthless. Like, I, I don't need much money. I just need as much money as I need to live. And that's it. Like, when I was traveling, like, it always lasted. And now, like, I'm in, now one year in New Zealand. And, like, man, New Zealand is quite expensive. So, like, all our, like, money is gone. So I have a well-paid job here. But actually, just compared to what I had before, it's not, it's kind of not enough just because like the country is so expensive and for me like the this whole concept of, about money and also what you attach to it and like yeah also your value kind of the reflection of your value you get paid so much because your value is kind of that it's just really interesting also compared um just if you compare like european countries um in, in germany for example like social jobs are really shitty paid so Society kind of decides you are not worth much because you're only doing like social work. If you go to Switzerland, for example, it's completely different. Like social work is really high rated. So it's just the whole like system of money and like worth and value is it's just good stuff. Well, I'm glad that you're bringing this up because this is what we're going to be looking at today. And there's kind of three key points that have come up so far. One is that the value of money itself is subjective. As you move around, it changes. You know, the value of money in Thailand is different to the value of money in Switzerland, which is different to the value of money in uh, the UK. It seems to change where you are for the exact same product, exact same service. So there's that idea of we cannot pinpoint the exact value of money. And we've also got this idea where we use money as a way to ascribe worth to somebody. And some people really believe this. They determine how worthy they are as a person by how much money they're being paid and society will agree or disagree with them based on that. I always find it interesting how much we'll value a famous actor who gets paid millions over the plumber who just fixed our sink. You know, one of them has been infinitely more valuable to our real life. You know, movies are great and all, but with that sink's not fixed, our whole house smells like shit. And yet it's the person who gets paid more that we automatically assume is more valuable. You can see this also in countries that have royalty. They actually see royals as being valuable simply because they're rich. When we look at their lives, they've contributed very little. But then there's also the opposite. There's some people who have been deemed to be very valuable and yet they're poor. Mahatma Gandhi, for example. Uh, even the Dalai Lama has very little in wealth and yet he's deemed as to be a valuable person. So people's beliefs around whether or not money makes you valuable will fluctuate depending on other things as well. We can also see is that there's some people... Uh, well, actually, I think the third and one of the most important things is how much money you need is very subjective. And we'll be looking at that spectrum because need implies you don't live without it. 
That's what that word means. Need is necessary for survival. That's what need means. And when people use the word need, they are unintentionally giving it that definition. If I say I need money, I'm saying money decides whether I live or die. And so somebody says, I need to make 50 grand a year. What they're saying is below 50 grand is poverty. I will suffer immensely. My death will be um, promoted if I fall below that line. And yet somebody else living in the same part of town might be surviving on 10 grand a year and quite happy and healthy. What I want you guys to notice just first off is the subjectivity of this. You know, how if, depending on what you've been raised to believe around money, you'll have different concepts of how valuable it is, how much it describes worth of a person, and how much of it you need. You know, I want you guys to just notice that that is not set in stone. We don't have an objective agreement on that. Each and every one of us has different opinion on, what, on those three factors. Yeah, how valuable money is, um, how worthy it makes you as a person to have it, and how much of it you need. If that's subjective, then I want you to open your mind slightly to the idea that maybe the beliefs you have around money can be changed. And in particular, seeing the amount of suffering I do in my job attached to money. I want you guys to open your mind to the idea that it's your beliefs around money that hurts you, not money itself. That it's not your financial situation that needs to change for you to feel more financially secure, but your mindset. The way you view money is what most needs to change. I want to just share a couple of things I've noticed about money. First off is I've had a new term introduced to me by the book uh, Sapiens. I'm going to just put this one down here. It's one of my favorite books. Put that in the notes there. It's one of the first times I've seen somebody objectively view money and talk about its history. You know, there was a time in human history where Homo sapiens did not have money. We bartered and traded value for value. My goat is worth, uh, you know, two of my goats is worth one of your cows, and that's it. You know, there's no market for goats or cows. It's just, I want the cow, you want the goat, we'll swap. There was no marker. There was no like, and I'll represent this with a leaf or a coin. We just traded for trade. And then at some point, I think it was the Assyrians or the there's Babylonian culture. I can't remember who it was. But somebody went like, you know, this is hard to keep track of. Let's bring in some markers. This coin now represents a goat. And money was born. So one of the things I want you just to, to notice, and you can do this research yourself to back it up, we haven't always had money. We are able to survive without it at some point in human history. And this was after the agricultural revolution as well. We were able to function as societies without money. Okay, so money hasn't always been there. So the idea that we need it, it isn't that it's untrue. It's that we have been able to survive without it. But there's something called an intersubjective belief. And this is a new term that I got from Sapiens. 
So a subjective belief is something that I just believe by myself and you guys just don't agree with me, right? That would be a subjective belief. An objective belief is something that it doesn't matter if we believe in it or not because it's true, like gravity. I can go, you know what? There is no gravity, but everything I drop is still going to fall to the ground. It doesn't need me to believe in it. It doesn't care if I believe in it. That's an objective truth. An intersubjective belief is something we all agree on and that's what makes it true, but it's not objectively true. Okay. Um, so you can see this in, in religious and ideology, ideological beliefs. If we all agree there is a God, then God becomes true. Right. If we all agree that this country is called New Zealand, then this piece of dirt becomes New Zealand. But there's no objective truth to that. There is no New Zealand. We just drew lines on a map and said, that'll do. Really, it's just a single piece of earth that occasionally rises out of the ocean. That's objective. There is dirt beneath our feet. That's true. But calling it New Zealand and calling anyone who lives there a New Zealander and anybody who comes over foreign, that's all made up. And yet we all agree on it, so that's what makes it true. This is why you can't just walk into a country without a passport. Everybody thinks you should have one. Now, you don't actually need a passport to walk on dirt. But because we all think you do, you now actually have to have a passport. Nobody will let you in. They'll shoot at you if you jump the fence, right? Intercept subjective beliefs, they only exist because we all agree on them. And money is one of those. If I hand you a $20 note and you give me what you believe is $20 worth of goods or services in exchange for that, it's only because we both believe that that $20 note is valuable when in fact it's just a piece of paper. If we didn't agree on it being valuable, we wouldn't be able to make this transaction. It has to be an agreement, but the money itself, if I go to some isolated tribe in the Amazon who's never used money, and I say, can I have three of your goats for this piece of paper? They're going to tell me to go fuck myself, right? Because they haven't bought into the belief yet. The reason I just bring this up, just to loosen your grip on the idea that money is objectively valuable. When we look at the stock market, when we look at currencies across countries, we can clearly see that there's subjectivity to the value of money. Sometimes it's worth this and sometimes it's worth that. How can something objective change? Gravity never changes, right? So your idea that money is valuable is something that you decided on and probably agreed with other people, but there isn't a hard truth to that. So any beliefs you have around money start from a fictional place. This was really important for me to work with my beliefs around money. I had to understand that my initial starting point for money was not truth, which means anything that grew from that, no matter how strongly I believed it, it was built on a foundation of fiction. You know, if I end up worshiping Neo from the matrix as a God, understand the original movie was made up. You know, no matter how much I think Neo's awesome, he's not real and none of it's real. And that's the case with money. 
Who here's seen uh, Wolf of Wall Street, that movie? There's a bit right at the start where he's talking to that, like, high... Uh, he's talking to... Um, what's his name? All right, all right, all right. Whatever that guy's name is. Um, and he's talking about money, and he's talking about how you've got to keep their clients in the stock game, buying and spending, because none of it's real. But they get to take home commissions which they can actually use, real cash, so to speak. Which is ironic because even their commissions are kind of intersubjective fictions. But what I liked about it was this idea that, you know, they understand that somebody will be watching the stock market thinking that their money's going up and down, but nothing's actually happening. It's just lines on a computer. You know, they don't have any actual money. And the stock market, you know, stockbrokers understand that. They understand there is no actual money. There is no real stock or value in the stock market. It's just numbers and computer algorithms and people watching that thinking they're watching their money go up and down. But the only people in that game with any actual money are the stockbrokers, the ones taking the commissions. This is a great example of somebody who can sort of see past the veil. Like if you think, you know, you swap your money for a car, and you got you paid a bit too much and you think i got ripped off and the other guys yeah like i really got that guy well one guy's got pieces of paper another guy's got a car in that moment one person actually has a real thing and the other person just has an agreement of a thing what happens the next day is if the stock market drops and his money becomes worthless you still got a car but now he's got nothing the money can fluctuate but your car can't as long as it still drives, as long as there's petrol to put in it, it's a real thing. It's of real value to you. I want this to just, just to recognize that your initial beliefs from money, whatever they might be, how much of it you need, how worthy you are as a person because of it. What was that third thing? Um, how valuable it is in, is in, uh, in and of itself. All of that starts from a place where the belief is money is real when there's no truth to that, okay? You know, uh, it's interesting about gold. That was one of the initial currencies of money, was gold. And we all think, well, gold is inherently valuable, or diamonds are inherently valuable. And if we ever had to question it, we think, oh, well, it's because they're rare. Well, diamonds aren't actually rare. All the major diamond firms have had to stockpile diamonds to keep the demand high. If they actually flooded the market with the amount of diamonds they were, they would all drop down to the value of like silver at best. So the idea that gold or that money would, was represents gold, which represents real value of some kind, gold is one of the most useless products on the planet. Other than jewelry, there's not much you can do with it and some electronics. It's quite a useless metal. It's too soft to do anything valuable with. It's inert. It's worthless in terms of practical value. But when we put it in a chain around a princess's neck and we say, that's expensive, it becomes valuable. So that's that intersubjective belief. One of the reasons I'm going on and on about this is because there'll be a lot of things that you throw your money away on because you think they're valuable and expensive, yet like gold, they bring no real value into your life. Who here has read uh, The 4-Hour Workweek? Or even better, like uh, 80-20 principle. 
the 80 20 principle is uh it's not quite hard science but there's a lot of truth to it the idea that you um that 80 percent of your outcomes are based on 20 percent of your inputs that it's not like 50 50 it's not this idea you get out what you put in it's actually what you put in it depends on what that is to what you get out well, one of the things the 80-20 principle will show you is that you only spend about 20% of your time, uh, you spend about 80% of your time and about 20% of your house. So if you were to do a heat map of you walking around your house all day, you'd find that you tend to stay in certain areas and the rest of the house is kind of dark, you barely use it. Well, the same applies to possessions. Right now, out of the 100% of possessions you have, you probably use only about 20% of them most of the time. And the rest are just sitting around collecting dust. And yet those things sitting around collecting dust might be quite expensive. You might have paid, for example, $800 for a nice dining table, but you only spend about 20 minutes a day using it. The rest of the time it's just sitting there as a very expensive piece of wood. So I want you guys to just, just open your mind to this idea that money, it's not objectively valuable. It depends what you think of it completely. And we're going to have a look at whether or not it can accurately describe how worthy you are as a person and whether or not you really need as much of it as you think you do. Okay. Let me just see my notes for a second here. Well, one of the, the key points I also want to bring up is that once upon a time, money was just a marker. It was a transition. You know, you get a marketplace together. One guy's selling homemade shoes. Another guy's selling apples. Um, and another guy is selling horse rides. It's very hard to figure out how many shoes is worth an apple or how many apples is worth a horse ride. It got very complicated. We're just like, if I don't need apples right now, then I'm not going to give you a horse ride and you're fucked. You know, or... If I've got shoes, then I will be able to dominate all the apples and all the poor people won't be able to eat them. It got very weird. So somebody came up with money and they said, we will just give you one marker that you can use that represents everything. Shoes, horses, apples. You can use it as a flexible marker. You don't have to go and trade shoes directly with apples. You can just give them some of this marker. They'll give you apples. If they want to buy shoes with it, they can, but they could also go buy a horse ride with it. That was essentially how money was invented, from what I understand. But then one day, the money itself, which was just supposed to be a marker, became a product. Notice, I mean, who here has been told that you need to save and accumulate money? That the numbers in your bank account should go up and up and up. The money itself is now seen as something that you need. It's not just a market, a swap for other things. There are many people dying rich. I, uh, I used to live in Cumu in West Auckland and a lot of kind of retirees go out there to buy a lifestyle block farm. So you get a lot of rich people out there, essentially, rich old people. And my, my friend used to work at the mechanic there and he was always blown away how these multimillionaires would still be like squabbling and... Um, bargaining over the tiniest dollar amounts on their mechanic bill. And they were just so tight with pennies all the time. It's one of the reasons that they stockpiled so much money. But then they would die. And he would hear, because, you know, Kumi is like the small village, basically. And he would hear that, that he, he didn't, like, leave anybody any money in his will or something. He just let it rot in his bank account. 
So there are people who, who, who accumulate money with no intention of spending it. They want the money itself. Or they do think they're going to spend it, but they're so insecure about spending it that the money never leaves. They never move it. They're so worried about that rainy day. Anybody here resonate with that? This holding on to money just in case and holding and holding and holding. And it's just sitting there, numbers in a bank account. I want to come back to you guys now. We looked at beliefs about what money is. Now I want to have a look. What are your beliefs around how you're supposed to behave with money? How are you supposed to treat money? How are you supposed to live your life with respect to money? Those kinds of beliefs. Who's got some ideas they want to share there? Dominic says, I was taught to be financially independent early on. Dominic, can I bring you on the line? Is that all right? I want to ask you, uh, tell me a bit more about this, especially like who taught you this and what did it mean to be financially independent? So my parents were like really like counting the pennies, like you explain a little bit, holding on money all the time. So for me, even like, as a teenager, I never had like much pocket money, like where all my classmates got a lot of pocket money, just could treat themselves, buy expensive clothes, stuff like that. And my parents didn't want to pay me anything, actually. I think they had to pay a little bit, but they didn't really want to do so. Like they really pushed me into getting an own job. Like, I don't know, with 12, 13 years, I was already like, um, like bringing newspaper to people around in the village and stuff like that just to earn my own money and yeah also like with gifts and stuff they went they were not really like um giving away much of their stuff and so just for my personal feeling they they brought me the pos positive aspect of being independent but they they for themselves were really hard on themselves and hard on spending any money and now my father died like two years ago and his bank account is still cool and he has like houses and stuff like that but he was never satisfied with life kind of so that's the crazy story about that this is you know this is a such a representative story of so many of that i've heard for two reasons one is the uh, the importance that money is given growing up it's kind of mm -hmm. like, it's amazing, like no matter what sort of religious or ideological beliefs, so often you also have a higher belief in the God of money. Money gets worshipped mm -hmm. even above whatever else we worship a lot of the time, you know, yeah. and, and that can affect people's decision making. Like uh, as you're brought up in a household, 
money becomes an uncomfortable topic to discuss or seeing your friends with money becomes very uncomfortable. I remember I had a friend in high school who used to just, his parents were loaded and they weren't tight. They just gave him whatever he wanted. And I'd be getting my $15 a month for like five hours hard labor that I had to do around the, the farm sort of thing. And I'd be like, I was so scared to spend it because I was just like, I either get like two movies or I can have like three Cokes or like, whereas he'd just be like $15 a day. It was just so insane to me. But of course he had, he had no respect of money either. And, and he's ended up being quite a dependent person. He, he's, he struggled to do things because he's so, he's so conditioned to be, have things handed out to him. But at the same time, he's not dominated by money. If he wants to buy something, he buys it. He gets himself into debt, but he doesn't really give a fuck. And it doesn't affect him emotionally like it did or still does sometimes for me. So it's this kind of pros and cons thing. There were some benefits to being raised worshipping money, but the downside is, you know, the God owns you. And then I had a friend who was raised to look at money as just a resource to throw away as you see fit, just a kind of a means to an end, but not the means, you know, not the end itself. Now he is less financially stable minded than I am, mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter because he doesn't care. So it's kind of all over the place. Um, but it's, I think the most interesting point you made, which is one of the points that most people overlook in their beliefs around money. As you've seen clear evidence of a man who accumulated wealth, yet never seemed satisfied. And for me, like it was different. I, I, I like really sold all my stuff. Like in Europe, there's nothing left. Like five boxes of personal belongings, nothing of worth, kind of just emotional worth. And I traveled the world on money, and there's nothing left. But yeah, I have, like I enjoyed just seeing the world, and I just enjoyed like spending the money into experience like in, into kind of stuff i can really accumulate in myself like just the the whole experience the wisdom you gain while traveling all this stuff but nothing like uh, material i don't have anything i don't have a, like, like a house or whatever but still i, th I feel like the lot of value i gained from where i spent my money now, this is important. Anybody listening who believes that money and value or quality of life are linked, in my opinion, and, and probably in Dominic's as well, you haven't looked hard enough. Because when you start to explore whether or not that's a fact, you start running into a lot of counter evidence. And these days, we actually have some very strong scientific research around this. One of the, the biggest studies that came out in the last five years, and I'll try and find the link to, to the original source if I can, found that there's a certain level of money that once you're above it, your quality of life doesn't improve. And this was done in the United States, and that level of money was something like 70,000 grand per year. So we assume that a millionaire is happier than somebody who earns 100 grand a year, and a billionaire is happier than the millionaire and more satisfied because, like Peter says, their access opens up. But the truth is when these people are actually tested is once you get about 70K a year, no amount of extra money makes you feel any better. You know? Now, everyone still wants to get to that level because it looks pretty, pretty nice. But 
one of the things that comes up is you have to let go of the idea that money exponentially increases your satisfaction with life. Because there's something else that, that's come up quite a lot as well, is that some people, once they cross that line, not only does their quality of life not improve, but depression comes in. And this actually uh, happened to me personally, which is one of the reasons I'm biased into believing it, was that I did cross that line. And I was working for the government at the time. I was in New Zealand dollars, but it's close enough. I, I crossed this line and I remember there, I'd set that in my mind, something like 75K was, was just this amazing amount to me. And when I, I finally like bargained my way into 80K a year or something, I can't remember what I got up to something around that, I was just like, holy shit, I'm, I'm rich, you know, like I'm finally one of the rich people, you know, the dream has come true. And that high lasted about three days and then I was like, ah, but my life's still got problems. What's, what's going on here? People still annoy me. I'm still financially insecure, you know. I mean, I'm a bit reckless with my spending more than I ever was, but I still check my bank account all the time. I'm still worried about it. Buying stuff just meant that I had a lot of stuff I didn't use. And I was able to travel before I crossed that line on very little money. I started to go, well, what exactly is this doing to make my life better? It was the first time that it had actually been challenged in a real way. I mean, I'd heard all sorts of spiritual types say, you know, you can, you can enjoy life without money. And I'm just like, shut up. You have heaps of it. You know, don't tell me what to do. But then when I actually myself crossed the, the, the line that you're supposed to cross, there was really no measurable increase in my quality in life. In fact, it started to go down because my expectation wasn't met. So now not only am I just normally living, I'm now disappointed as well. And when this really came home for me was when a friend of mine uh, her dad, who's one of the richest guys in New Zealand, when I found out how much money he had. I've told this story before, but this was a game changer for me. We've always, uh, he's this guy who's got these uh, beautiful daughters and we used to chase them around all the time. So he became like a surrogate father to us, me and my group of friends. We were always over at his house. And he, he was kind of like one of those older guys who likes to hang out with younger guys, you know. And so he hung out and he was kind of a mate. And we used to always pester him, like, come on, how rich are you? Just tell us. Tell us how much money you got, for fuck's sake. He's got a big boat and a mansion and, like, a Hummer, and he's just he's so stereotypical. It's just crazy. And I was like, come on, tell us. And one day he got drunk, and he bragged, and he told us how much he was worth, uh, which is $35 million. I remember that amount. And he trades in gold currency. He trades in gold and currencies. Um, yeah, like I said, he's got a massive house. He owns heaps of land in West Auckland, commercial land that's being used by like top businesses. He's got all this equity all over the place. He has the beautiful daughters. He has the wife that he cheats on with the mistress. He goes out and gets drunk whenever he wants. He, he has a life that I thought of when I think of being rich. They kind of do whatever you want. He sails to Fiji whenever it occurs to him to do so. He barely has to work if he doesn't want to, so on. And then I look closer at him. I was like, why does he buy so much stuff? Particularly when a lot of it he doesn't use. Why does he have the Hummer? He doesn't need a car that big. 
Why does he have a mansion when like six of the rooms are unused? Why does he have a boat that he only uses like twice a year? Why does he get drunk and brag about his money? Why does he hang out with younger guys? Why does he cheat on his wife? This cracks in the whole rich makes you happy story started to appear. And when I had my real breakthrough was that night when he bragged about how much he was worth, I realized in the very act of bragging that he was insecure. I remember I'd been told a saying, a rich man doesn't need to tell you he's rich. It's a metaphor where if you've really got something, you don't need to brag about it. The person who brags doesn't really have it, you know? Someone tells you they're confident, then they're not really confident, that kind of thing. And here's a guy bragging and bragging about money. He's not really financially secure. He's still insecure. He might be okay with money, but he's still insecure as a person. He's showing off to us. And he's never happy with what he's got. He doesn't use what he's got. He just accumulates stuff, status symbols. And I came to realize that nothing else, this guy, money didn't make this guy happy. And that's when I started looking. I looked at myself as I crossed the 75K line. No, no happier. Actually, a little bit sadder. I had access to more stuff, but I didn't care. The access didn't do anything to me emotionally for very long. I quickly got used to it. Now I expected it. And then the joy of it went away. You know, being suddenly able to travel the world or do flight course or whatever, that will feel exciting. But six months in, it won't anymore. And now the next horizon of money will appear and you'll feel like you don't have enough again. It's amazing you don't need to be in poverty to think you don't have enough money. That was one of the three principles I think we talked about at the start. The idea that you need a certain amount to enjoy your life. And yet that amount will change the more money you have. When you, you know, one of my, um, one of my good friends in America just became a millionaire for the first time. He's already thinking about a second million. This guy didn't used to have like a dollar to his name. And now a million's not enough. You've got this idea in your head that when you cross a certain line, you will actually appreciate crossing it. That you will actually feel financially secure afterwards. But the facts don't support that. Look at how many high, rich, and, and famous celebrities end up in rehab or going through disastrous divorces or whatever. Now, obviously, money is not the only factor in that equation, but money isn't solving those problems for them. They're still drug addicts. They're still promiscuous. They're still whatever, warning signs that they're not actually enjoying their life. You know the famous uh, 27 Club? All those rock stars that committed suicide at the age of 27? They all died very fucking rich. You know? Nick's just said it here. I think that's Nick on the line. I learned money isn't a problem. It's the love of money that's a problem. I thought loving or being scared of losing money can lead to selfishness and individualism. And he likes Dominic's view compared to Dominic's father's view. This idea, your, your problem isn't how much money you've got. It's the value you attach to how much money you've got. The value you attach to yourself as a person. And the idea that, you know, this access pass idea. Dominic and I both know that you can travel the world on very little if you're smart about it. You don't need to be a rich person to travel the world. You barely even need to be a, 
a financially stable person at all. You know, my little brother's traveling the world at the moment. He doesn't have a fucking penny to his name. I don't know how he gets by week by week, but he does. He's seen more of the world than I have, and he's fucking never come close to 75K. Shit. I don't think he's earned more than like 200 bucks in a week before. But he found a way. There are some beliefs you have about money that only true because you believe them and because the people you talk to about believe them. There's a human bias where if you have an idea and you share that idea with someone and they agree with you, you automatically think that that's evidence that your idea is correct. This is how groups form based on complete bullshit. This is how the KKK formed. One white guy said, you know, black guys aren't as good as us. And another white guy said, you know what? I was fucking thinking that. You said it. I was thinking it. And they both go, well, we must be onto something. Let's see what our other white neighbor thinks of that. And a group forms. None of it had any scientific accuracy whatsoever. Same thing about money. You went and talked to someone and said, I need lots of money. And they said, you know what? I need lots of money too. We're two people who both need money. That's 100% of this group needs money. Therefore, it's 100% true that money is needed. And the belief forms. And you've seen this spread throughout your whole life. As Dominic clearly pointed out, we're raised by our parents to believe this. If there's anything a child believes, it's what their parents say. You don't form the ability to think critically until about the age of eight, nine. So any ideas you're taught about money before then, they get set in stone right in your fucking subconscious before you've had a chance to weigh up the evidence, before you even have the ability to weigh up evidence. Why do you think you believe in Santa Claus so easily? It's because you can't actually question something when it's proposed as true. It's very hard for a child to know when someone is lying. They don't really have the capability. So I want you guys to just notice it's like being plugged into the matrix. Everything you believe about money is a fiction on a fiction. And all the emotional reactions you have to those beliefs are emotional reactions to a fiction. There is essentially no such thing as money. There's just an agreement we all have that money is real. There is no inherent value in it. But because we all agree on it, we've got to live in this world. Just because I don't agree that there are countries doesn't mean I shouldn't get a passport. I'm going to find life very fucking difficult if I don't. And I can just decide that I'm not going to agree that money is real, but I'm still going to find it hard to function with other humans because they all do agree on it. What I want to get to by the end of this is to be able to work with the reality of money that everybody else agrees on it and that's the system we've designed and it's a very helpful system. You know, I, I find it very difficult to swap coaching for groceries or whatever. It would be a fucking nightmare to figure that one out. So we all just use money and I'm, I'm cool with that. But your beliefs attached to money that describe how worthy you are as a person, that limit how much you can do in life, those are the beliefs I want to attack because they're all fictional. You know, you can walk around the world understanding the use of money, the, the agreement that money is, without being owned by it. And that's what I want to help everyone get to today if they can. So some beliefs we have around money. Money makes you happy, high status, worthy. None of those things are actually true. We've seen plenty of rich people are unhappy. You know, um, 
Who's that subway guy who turned out to be a pedophile? What the fuck's his name? He looked like one. I just remember like, yeah. anyway, the guy sold the sandwiches. I used to work with pedophiles. And as soon as I saw him on the ad, I'm like, that guy's a pedo. And five years later, it turned out I was true. Um, so he's, he's very rich, but he has no social status, right? Being rich doesn't help you when you turned out to be a pedophile, you know? And worthiness, the Dalai Lama, Mahatma Gandhi, there are people that we considered very high worth who did very valuable things and they were broke. There are exceptions that show that this thing is not, at least it's not 100% true. So you can loosen your grip on the idea that money is required to be happy. It's required to be valuable. There's too much counter evidence for that to be true. There's another couple of ones I just want to have a little rant on quickly. The idea that a stable income is safe. Who here has been made redundant before? Anybody? Or had their do uh, job disestablished, as it's sometimes called? Well, if you thought stable income is safe, that'll put it to bed real quick. I remember my old office... Um, they did a restructure, as they tend to call, like, mass firings. Um, and this isn't a government job. If you ever thought of a paycheck as safe, a, double, a government job paycheck is considered double safe. You know, it just never moves. It's so hard to get fired because they have so many rules. Um, but I remember this one lady, she got told that her job was being restructured. Now, it wasn't even the same as being fired. She could apply for similar jobs elsewhere. But she had a heart attack in the office. I'd never seen something like this before. She was in her 50s or so. And she just started screeching. I never really liked her, but <laughs> she was a screecher. And she just started screeching. Everyone in the office like, what the fuck's going on? Because she'd just been told the news. And then she stormed out, throwing things, threatening to sue, all this crazy stuff. Went down to the bottom of the, of the uh, elevator thing, lift, and had a heart attack. Now, she lived. Um... The point is, like, she was so sure that her job was safe that the shock of losing it gave her a heart attack. She was so belief. Her whole stability of life was so obviously based on this thing. And, and what is a job but a representation of money? She was so attached to the stability of income that if you took it away from her, she almost died. She almost fucking died because of her belief about how important stable income is. That's how, I, that's how I translate that situation anyway. Whereas somebody who is just like, look, money is what it is. All I've got to do is develop the ability to get by each day, to adapt to situations, to use it as a resource but not be used by it. Losing their job would just be a challenge to overcome. They wouldn't have a fucking heart attack about it. Yeah. Passive income. That's a big one that comes up a lot. This idea where I don't have to work for money. I remember actually one person, I, I chased this for a long time. I thought passive income was the ultimate goal. But then I remember just one guy, who was it? Ah, oh, fuck it. Oh no, yeah, that's right. It was, uh, I was doing an entrepreneurship course uh, with this group called The Entourage. Terrible business, but good mentors. Um, and somebody's like, who wants passive income? And like 99% of the hands in the room go up. 
And he's like, why? And he said, because then we don't have to work. He's like, you don't want to do anything? And it kind of hit me. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to stop working. What the fuck? I don't want to do work I hate, but I don't want to do nothing. And this is something that's worth thinking about. Uh, you know, I just came back from a holiday uh, in, in Egypt where apart from some little trips, we just sat on the beach all day in a resort doing nothing, which is what a lot of people kind of equate with passive income. It's kind of, I'll do nothing. It was fucking boring. 72 hours in, and I couldn't wait to get back to work. Now, I'm lucky because I found a job that, you know, I find I love this shit. This is my work, me just sitting there ranting. Um, but the point was this idea that I, I'll end up doing nothing I found very miserable and I went to a property investment seminar once and there were some people there who had passive income and they were bragging about how they only worked four hours a week. And so I asked them like, well, what do you do the rest of the time? He was ah, nothing. Just fucking potter around. I was like, well, that's a miserable fucking life. I don't want that. So this idea that you want passive income and yet it actually represents doing nothing with your life. It's not really passive income you want. You want doing nothing. Now, I can understand not wanting to do a job you hate. You know? He says, I want to do the same job I'm doing and get a few extra few hundred uh, a week on the side. But there's nothing wrong with that. But don't expect your quality of life to necessarily go up because of it. That's an expectation that can end in disappointment. Unless there's a reason. Notice how, and I'll sort of just challenge you here. You know, I know you just typed this quickly. You said you want a few extra hundred dollars a week. Not you want more fun in your life. Not you want more thrilling experiences. You want the actual money itself. You know? Now I understand that the money represents those experiences, but notice how it's the money you want, not the experiences. And it will t determine which way you go about your goals. If you say, I want money, then your goals will be about accumulating money. If you say, I want travel, then your goals will be about trying to make travel happen, which may not require extra money. See, a lot of people, this is what I mean by money becomes the value in and of itself. They stockpile money with a vague idea that money will get them to something else, but they're not even thinking about what that something else is. They're not even actually considering spending it. You know, like somebody, uh, you said a good example before, flight school. You want a few extra hundred extra dollars to attend flight school, you might say. What if the goal was just to attend flight school? And you went to them and asked, like, how can I do this with the money I've got? You kind of skip out that accumulating money phase and go straight to some, probably some agreement that you've never thought of, doing their dishes for five hours a week or something in order to get a free lesson. You never know what might come of letting go of the idea that money is necessary. My girlfriend's awesome for this. I think this is a Czech Republic thing. There is no money here, so they have to work around it. And like she gets us traveling around the world for so fucking cheap, it's ridiculous. I've had international flights cheaper than I've had like drives across Auckland because of her. You know, she can get me all around Europe for cheaper than I can go around New Zealand. You know, because she just, she's not looking to make more money so she can travel. She's looking to travel on the money she's got. And it changes the way she searches. It changes the deals she makes. It changes her attitude. The people who are often really well off with money but aren't attached to it are the ones who love bargaining. 
you know, I've got a friend who runs his own car business and uh, he buys and sells cars from trademen basically. It's, it's barely a legal business, but um, he says the, the real money is made on the buy, not the sell. He knows how to buy things for cheap, for less than they, he can sell them for. So it's not about he tries to sell them for a lot. He just tries to buy them for very cheap. That's his focus. And I've heard a lot of property investors, um, Robert Kiyosaki and things like that. Robert Kiyosaki in his book, he talked about how, was it him or a friend? They used to go down to divorce court, wait for someone to come out and then offer to buy their house for real cheap. You know, these poor guys coming out with empty pockets and they're like, fuck, I'll sell anything right now. I've just got taken to town. And, you know, it's just an opportunity where he, he thought beyond trying to get rich enough to buy a house. He thought, where could I buy a house with the money I've got? You know, that kind of thinking where you're still acknowledging that money is this thing that exists in the human world, but you're playing with it rather than being owned by it. You see it as something that it's, it's like going out to hunt each day. You don't need a grocery store. You just trust in your ability to hunt. One of the things that, that I've learned about money is that I'm not, if I accumulate it to make myself feel safe, I actually end up feeling more insecure because I'm confirming the belief that I need to accumulate it to be safe. I've become reliant on the money. You know, one of the things starting a business taught me or forced me to learn is how to survive without money to go. I don't know if I'm going to get paid at all next week. What the fuck am I going to do about it? And then actually being able to answer that question, being able to negotiate rent with somebody, being able to get a loan off somebody, being able to survive week by week without needing an accumulation of money, being able to do what I want. You know, while I was broke starting my business, I also got into dancing. I paid for dance lessons and uh, joined dance teams, very expensive, traveled around New Zealand to do dancing events. I traveled overseas, you know, um, I was able to purchase a motor vehicle. I was able to go and socialize. I was able to do things that cost money and yet I didn't have any because I had to change my whole mindset about it. I had to find a way to do things for free, for cheap, for exchanges, for barters and trades. I had a different perspective where money was just a piece on the game board. It wasn't the goal. Does that make sense? The point I'm trying to make here is that your beliefs around money are like blinders. You can't see the options available to you. If you think I need to be rich to travel, you won't see the options of traveling for cheap that are equally as enjoyable. You know, if you say, oh, I need to have money to be confident, you won't see the options of how you can build confidence even if you're broke. You know, if you say, oh, even if you say something you think is really fucking specific and true, like I need money for flight school lessons, you cut off any possibility of doing them for free that might exist or doing them for very cheap or doing them in some sort of exchange. These other options that do not require more money than what you've got, you know, I mean, Robert Kiyosaki talks about this a lot as well. He says, because he's the one who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it's such a great book around mindset around money. Because the Poor Dad was of the, like, you need to have lots of money mindset, which you'd think would be a rich mindset, but it's not. Poor people hold on to money and need it. And they stay poor because of it. Whereas rich people, they don't say, can I afford this? They say, how can I afford this? They're constantly problem solving. Money is just a tool to be used. It's not a goal. 
You know, this is why a millionaire can go bankrupt and then become a millionaire again within a year. They understand the process. They know how to play the game of money without being owned by money. They can take massive risks without shitting themselves because they know that none of the money is actually real and they can rely on themselves to survive without it. I think one of the best things that can happen to anyone is poverty. If you learn how to get by week by week on nothing, you know, and that's one of the things that it's essentially what happened to me. I wouldn't say I was in poverty, not after going to fucking Cairo in Egypt. I was not in poverty, um, but I was broke by New Zealand standards. I had minus dollars in my bank account and I had rent to pay and shit like that. I'm still here. Somehow that didn't kill me. Somehow I didn't end up being a homeless meth addict. I, none of the things that I was worried about came true. How? Because I was forced to solve those problems. You know? I want you to notice how important money becomes when you believe those things. How you prioritize it over health. How you'll burn yourself out at work just to earn more of it. You prioritize it over family and friends. Your social life will suffer as you chase money around or you refuse to spend it. Your integrity, how you compromise your values so that you don't risk losing it. Notice where money sits in the hierarchy of your mind. Is it the God? Is it the president, you know? Is it the prime minister? Or is it just a laborer, something that works for you? Where does it sit? Because the higher up it sits, the more control it has. And you decide where it sits. It doesn't have to sit at the top. It's your beliefs that keep it there. And I'm talking from experience here because up until about maybe a year and a half ago when I had a very powerful coaching session um, with a guy who specializes in financial insecurity. Up until then, money really fucking owned me. I wouldn't put it in the God position. I could do some things without caring about money, but it was definitely in a, it was in a high priority spot. It was, it was above, especially, it was, I know it was above my health. I definitely worked harder than, than I uh, should have for my stress and stuff. So that was a sign that I was above health. And it was above social because I'd sacrifice social events because I couldn't afford it, stuff like that. So money took a pretty high spot and, and I paid a price. Money doesn't give me, there's no inherent value in having money. It didn't give anything back for what it took from me. And none of the things that I wanted in life could be done, uh, couldn't be done without uh, money. Let me rephrase that. The things I want in life, like traveling and meeting new people and all those kinds of things, I can do them on fuck all money. I didn't believe that before, so I didn't do them until I had money, and I did them in a very expensive way. Like if I traveled to America for six months, it cost me like 10 grand. Now, I could probably travel to America for six months and it would cost me like two grand. It'd just be flights and I'd figure out the rest as a kind of pay-as-you-go system. But money is important. It creates a lot of fear when it's important, a lot of anxiety. Anxiety is a measure of importance. The more important something is to you, the more anxious you'll get about it. So if you're anxious about money, it's just a sign of how important you've made money. But money is not objectively important. It's intersubjectively important. 
It's only important because everyone thinks it is. And you don't have to play that game. You don't have to be plugged into the matrix. Dominic says, the best working situation I had for myself was an 80% position in Switzerland. Enough money to live, but still enough time to survive. Here in New Zealand, I'm forced to work full time again to fulfill the requirements of my work visa. It's not all about money. Sometimes you're forced by other circumstances to leave your comfort zone. What I like about this is even though you're in a tough position financially, you know the score and you've chosen this. This isn't something that you feel that you've been forced into. You want to be here and these are, this is the game. And you'll be able to free, you're free to renegotiate that game once you have your visa. What's interesting is we now have two intersubjective things really fucking your life. One is the idea that we're all from different countries. So that's where the visa problem originates. And then the idea of money, you know. Um, but that's, that's the price you've got to pay. Like for me, uh, visa hassle is something I'm very familiar with coming over here to the Czech Republic. But I knew that that's the game the world plays. If I want to be in the Czech Republic, I'm going to have to play this visa game. The idea I need a visa is not true. Just like the idea that I need to live in Czech Republic is not true. But one decides the other. If I decide I need to live in Czech Republic, then I need a visa. But as long as I know I'm playing this game, that this is a game and I'm just playing it, it's not reality. You know? I need this amount of money to buy that car. Well, first off, you can probably get that car for cheaper if you know how to talk your way through it. But secondly, yeah, there are some things where if you want to play the game, but do you need the car? No, you want the car. Do I need to live in Czech Republic? No, I want to. So I'll play the game that's required to make that happen. And here's the important thing. Do you want to continue the game? It's an important question to always ask yourself, and it's the same with money. Do you want to keep playing the game? Not, I have to. Do I want to? How do our beliefs around money affect us? We sacrifice integrity. We worry and fret and get anxious. We'll choose our entire career based on money. Spending like 80% of our waking lives in the pursuit of it. We'll plan the rest of our lives around it. We treat it as a basic need. All decisions must weigh money in somehow. You know, do I want to spend time with my friends this weekend? Well, it depends how much money I got in my bank, you say. Money is like at the head of the table of the committee in your mind, making decisions. You can become dependent on it. Like the woman who has a heart attack at the thought of money being taken away from her. And actually you come where you're so emotionally affected by money that whether or not you have depression depends on the numbers in your bank account. Whether or not you think life is enjoyable depends on how much cash is in your wallet or how much access you think you have, which is all just fiction. You get into a pattern of what I call Scrooge and binge. That's what most people are insecure about money. They're really tight, saving all the time, and then they blow it all on shit. They fluctuate between like not allowing money anywhere near anything. They won't even spend a dollar of it. And then when they do spend it, they spend it on something they don't need at all. Something they'll barely use. Like a dining table. Or a car, but they live in the city and they use public transport. Or a television that they don't need to be watching in the first place. 
or travel to a fancy resort when really they'd enjoy going to a hostel better. Notice that. Oh, it's called financial bulimia. Is that a term? I think that's a great term. Financial bulimia. That's fucking perfect. So some people are one or the other. They either save all their money all the time and they don't get to enjoy life at all. Uh, Dominic's father type. Constant wealth accumulation with zero quality of life sort of thing. I'm being extreme. He probably had his moments. Um, but then there's the other, which is nothing but spewing out money. The people who get themselves into horrific debt and get themselves even into legal trouble because they refuse to have any respect for the intersubjective beliefs in money. So obviously the extremes don't work and somebody who believes what we've been talking about in this session will hit the extremes. You know, they'll binge and then they'll purge the bulimic. But there's another one where you just see money as a tool, like a hammer and you use it when you've got nails to hit. And if you don't have enough hammers for the nails available, you try to figure out a way around that. What else could you use that's sort of like a hammer to hit these nails in? Do I really need to hit these nails in? Some people use money as an excuse to avoid living. They say, I can't afford it, instead of how can I afford it, or what's another way to do it. They just have money sitting there at the top of their mind just going, no, unless you're accumulating more of me, I don't want to hear about it. They didn't do anything. This was me for quite some time. I avoided doing stuff because my money said no. But my money doesn't exist. My money can't say no. It's just me talking to myself there. We'll talk about money and value to finish us off. I want you guys to think about the beliefs you have about career and then value as a person and how money plays a role in you defining what value means. Do you think if you're paid more that you're worth more? Have you ever seen someone in a company who was paid more than you but did less? It was less helpful. Or the opposite. Have you ever seen someone who's paid less than you and they're obviously contributing at least equal if not more? It's interesting how we divvy up value you know i always find that yeah the the analogy i always use is celebrities versus plumbers i have so much more use for a fucking plumber than i do for an actor i mean i love watching movies don't get me wrong but i need a plumber if my plumbing goes to shit i'm fucked i don't know what to do i'm not a i'm not that handy kind of guy you know I can take some guesses at it, but I'll probably make it worse. I'm the guy who knows what he's doing to come in and, and make sure that I'm not knee deep in my own shit. But who gets paid more? The actor. How is actor a more valuable service? Or is it equal value? This is a, there's an argument for it being equal value. The idea that it's more kind of depends what you need at the time. And yet, a famous actor will get paid significantly more than a top plumber. Subjective. 
It's interesting in some countries how the political system works. In the more corrupt countries, the politicians make a lot of money. But there are some countries where politicians get paid fuck all, and yet they're very powerful people. (laughs) Some plumbers ask for more. (laughs) Yeah, they do. Uh, Some plumbers do get paid quite a lot, actually. But the point being is this idea that how much you get paid is an accurate measure of how worthwhile you are is crazy. This is one of the things I had to face starting my own business. Coaching is a weird thing to charge money for. I had a lot of discomfort I had to work through around this. Because I charge a lot. You know, what I realized lately, I charge more than lawyers. It's weird to say that. These guys like spend 80 hours a week in a firm to make partner or whatever. They fucking know every inch of legislation. They're trained in arguing and all this stuff. I charge more than they do per hour. And yet... I did an exercise once with a guy where he'd paid about $3,000 worth of coaching with me. And I was all insecure about it being worth that. And he was trying to convince me that it was. And I was like, well, help me figure this out. We went through and we listed everything that had changed in his life since he'd started coaching, all the things that he sort of attributed to doing the coaching, like being able to talk to strangers and, you know, being able to assert himself to his boss and all these things that he couldn't do before. And what we did is we put a value on each one financially. I said, if you could push a button and just have that new skill, how much would you pay to push that button? You know, we added money up and he ended up with all the things that he had discovered during coaching that had he paid money to push a button to get all those things, he would have paid about 40 to $50,000. And I realized, well, the worth of my coaching isn't objective. It's subjective. It depends what they think it's worth. And I thought, well, that's everything, isn't it? If I need a plumber, then (laughs) I need a plumber. That's expensive. It's not expensive, I should say. It's it's worthwhile. I'll pay whatever. I'll pay a lot of money to get to stop shit flowing into my bedroom. Pay a lot of money for that. It's very worthwhile to me. If I don't need a plumber right now, then I don't want to pay them anything. They talk about this in four-hour work week. You work an eight-hour day at your office. How many, how many of those hours are you worth what you're getting paid? And how many of those hours are you worth more than you're getting paid? One of the things he showed again is that 80-20 principle. Someone works an eight-hour day, about two hours of the, the day, they're worth about 10 times more than they get paid for the company. And the rest of the day, they're worth about 10 times less. So if someone gets paid $20 an hour, for about two hours a day, they're worth probably $200 an hour to the company. The rest of the day, they're worth about $1 an hour for what they actually achieve. It's constant flowing subjectivity. The idea that worth can be measured by money is ridiculous. Worth is measured by your behavior and the impact it has on people. And how much you get paid does not measure that accurately. We all know that boss who got paid more than us that was actually dragging the company down. They're not worth what they're getting paid. We also know somebody who's helped us for free and they made a significantly positive impact in our life. Money was not required for that to be true. A lot of people, like, one of the key questions I like to ask them, would you do what you love for low pay or what you hate for high pay? If you had to choose, if you had to work 40 hours a week, Because the answer to that question, the most honest answer you can come up with to that question 
will tell you where money is ranked in your mind. But more important than the answer to that question is the actual look at the work that you're doing. Are you doing work that you love or are you doing work that you hate? And if you're doing work that you hate, why? The number one question I ask coaching clients is if I gave you a million dollars, would you go into work this year or would you quit? I used to say, would you go into work tomorrow? But nobody goes into work tomorrow. Um, but would you go back after a couple of weeks of holiday? The answer is no, then you fucking hate your job. Simple. Very, very simple. Someone who loves their job keeps doing it after the big payday. If you gave me a million dollars, I'm going to keep coaching. Fuck, I'd barely take any time off. I'd actually use that money to make Brojo bigger. But when I was a landscaper, if you gave me a million dollars, I would have thrown my spade down and ran away instantly. I fucking hated landscaping. <laughs> You know, I was only doing it for the money. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like in Dominic's situation, sometimes you're playing the game. But you've got to know why you're playing the game. What's the bigger goal here? Are you just accumulating money? Or are you saving up for flight school? Or are you saving up capital to start your business? Or are you working through a visa requirement? A lot of people think they're doing it for something, but the real goal is just money. Once you realize that the money is to get you somewhere else and you're really going to use the money for that, you're going to throw that money down the toilet if necessary to pursue the goal, then money no longer owns you. You're now playing the game rather than owned by it. This is why millionaires can go broke and make a million dollars again. The richness isn't in their bank account. It's in here. It's how they view money. Allows them to take risks, to play and learn. They use money as a tool of education. They go, okay, I'll go invest in that. Okay, lost all my money. No more investing in that fucking thing. Let's start again. But a poor person goes, okay, I need more money, so I'm going to invest in that. Oh, no, I lost all my money. My life's over. The rich guy isn't trying to make more money when he invests. He's trying to grow his business. He's trying to learn. He has other goals beside money, and that's why he's rich, ironically. And then there are other people that uh, I consider myself in this category may never be rich and wealthy, but don't need to be to enjoy life. I call them the hunters. They never need to accumulate meat because they like to go out and hunt every day. They just need enough to get through to the next hunt. It's the entrepreneur mindset, an employee mindset as you sit and wait for the paycheck to come. You just do your time. You're just serving a sentence. Now, it doesn't mean that all employees think this way. It's just what I call the employee mindset. You can be an employee, but you're actually using the company to support your goals. Save up capital for those flight school lessons or whatever. The company is your bitch, not the other way around. They're paying you rather than you being paid by them, so to speak. But the entrepreneur mindset is like hunting and farming. I'm going to go out there and get it a different way every week, however I need to. I'll learn how to start broke and end up with enough in my account to get me through to the next broke. And that's all I need to know. Money is just the game. I don't need to accumulate it so that I never have to worry about it again. Look at what happened in Greece. The government then, yeah, we're out of money, so we're just going to take everybody's. My bad. And they did. They fucking did. They just took everyone's money. We were just in Greece. There are massive hotel resorts, deserted, abandoned. Graffiti all over the place, empty. 
million dollar resorts just abandoned because the government just went, yeah, we're going to take everyone's money now. You think your money's secure? It's never fucking secure because it doesn't exist. It's an agreement. And it's an agreement controlled by governments and banks. If they decide to change the agreement, you're fucked. You can't do anything about it. The government goes, you know what? We're going to print heaps more money so that all money is worthless. They can do it without you. And your money in your bank account will still say $1,500, but it won't be worth $1,500 anymore. Now it's a dollar. Look at what happened with fucking Venezuela. Their attempt at communism. It's like a billion dollars to buy a fucking apple now. Their currency's fucked. Do you think a single individual Venezuelan can do anything about that? No. Because you never really have control over money because to have control over money is to have control over everyone's beliefs. You can't have that. You can have control over your car because you get in it, you turn the key and you drive the steering wheel. That's a real thing you can control, but you can't control money because you need everyone else to believe that your money is valuable. As soon as they stop believing it, you're done. So one of the questions I have for you, are you prepared for that? Is your mindset prepared for financial Armageddon? If someone decided right now that everything you own is worthless and you couldn't change their minds, what would you do about it? How would you adapt to that? Because there is a way, but it's all about your beliefs. Somebody who thinks that money is needed, that their worth as a person is dependent on money, that money itself is valuable, those three factors, will be destroyed by bankruptcy or economic collapse. They're those ones who jump out of the windows during the depression. Right? But the entrepreneur goes, okay, there's an opportunity in here somewhere. How do I make the most of this? How do I adapt? I would suggest, I, this was forced upon me, but even if it wasn't, I think the best thing that can happen to someone is you actually get rid of all your money and try to find your way out of that trap. You can even just give it to someone temporarily, but just make yourself broke and see if you can survive that. See if you can talk through with your landlord to get an extension on your rent, you know, or your bank to get a delay on your mortgage payment or your boss to get an advance on your pay. Just see if you can handle a situation where you've got to get creative around money. Put yourself in an uncomfortable position, even if it's just a simulation. Like even if you've got enough money for rent, see if you can talk yourself out of the next payment or talk someone else into covering your next payment and then you can pay them back. Just see if you can handle doing something without the money you have just to show yourself that you can do it, that you can handle those uncomfortable situations and that creativity. Set yourself a goal of traveling somewhere that you think costs 5,000. Set yourself a goal of doing it for 1,000. Try to make that happen. Find the websites where the deals are. Talk people into giving you a uh, kind of exchange on something. Free yourself from the idea that money controls the world. It controls people that doesn't mean it controls you. And start thinking about like, how much money do you need to be a valuable person? What is being a valuable person to you? Because someone who's just sitting there with money in their bank account, there's no value in that for anybody. In fact, they're depriving the rest of the world of that currency to work with. 
We think of rich people as valuable, and yet they're stockpiling money that the rest of us could be spending. I'm no communist, but I'm kind of like, put that money, capitalism is supposed to be about trickle down. The rich people are supposed to make more jobs and everything, just that they don't for some reason. They just hoard wealth. But who gains in the hoarding of wealth? I like to think like uh, when I started my business, I had to pay other people for their services, like website design and stuff like that. And I realized I'm just taking money from one person, passing it to another. That's all I'm ever doing with money. Money just flows through me. There's no point in holding on to it. That's like putting a dam in the river. Everything gets backed up if I do that. As long as I keep money flowing, as long as I know how to bring it in, and I know where to spend it in a valuable way so that somebody else's life gets to be enhanced by it, if we all thought like that, money would flow very freely. People think you need to accumulate this huge wealth of land and possessions, but you don't even use them. When I moved to, to check, I was like, had all this accumulated shit. And I was like, I do not want to go with more than one bag. I just like, my girlfriend wasn't working at the time. I'm like, look, here's my trade me account. Don't tell me what you're doing. Just get me down to one bag. I don't even know what she sold. I don't miss it. She sold some stuff that I know if she had asked me, I would have been like, no, you can't sell that. It's so important. It's so meaningful to me. And I can't remember what I had now. Can't have been that fucking important. You know? The last thing I want to ask you guys, I want to ask you guys personally. Right now, what does not enough money prevent you from doing? What are you waiting for more money for? Oh, awesome. So Peter says, I'm planning a trip to Bali and have $200. Oh, you're rich. Dominic says, starting my own business. Well, you can do that for free. I want you guys to have a look at these challenges. Because right now, it's the way you're looking at them that makes you think you need more money. You're looking at these things as requiring a certain amount of money, probably a vague amount that you haven't exactly finalized yet, but even if you have a certain amount of money, and then you're looking at the amount of money you currently have and you're thinking this doesn't add up. My bank account must say this before this thing can happen. Here's my challenge to you and anybody watching the recording, I want you to do this exercise right now as well. So write down, here's the one thing I can't do right now because I can't afford it. Okay, I don't have enough money. Your job is to make it happen. That's it. However creatively you need to be, you need to be able to do this thing without being able to afford it. That's your mission. Even if it's theoretical, if you don't have the balls quite to follow through or this isn't the right time to go to Bali or whatever, that's fine. But I want you to get to a point where you have a plan of how you would do it with no extra income. 
Because the odds are you simply haven't asked yourself that question yet, and therefore that problem hasn't even been attempted to have been solved. You know? You might think the answer seems stupid, like borrowing money, but I don't want to borrow money. That's fine. You don't have to want to. Just be open to the extra ideas. You know? I went through a similar situation with starting my own business. Uh, starting my business wasn't a problem. You do that for free. All you have to do is ring up someone and offer them a service. It's not that hard. But I kept spending like I was an employee once my business went full time. And that was a mistake. Because it turns out that uh, entrepreneurship money is a lot more unstable uh, than employee money. And I had had a good month. I had made uh, five figures in a single month. And I'm just like, finally, the dreams come true. This is going to be sweet. And now I didn't make a single dollar for another four months. And that 10 grand whittled away pretty fucking quick because I was spending according to what I earned rather than spending minimal so I ended up in this position where I was like, I'm out of money. I, I can't afford to eat. I can't afford to pay rent. And so I went and got a part-time job, which was a backward step because now I've got less time to work on my business for it to make more money. So I'm just stuck in purgatory because I wasn't thinking, well, what about getting a loan? You know, what about just getting some money to tide me over? I didn't think about that because I was thinking about the how much money do I have in my bank account now compared to what I want to do. Once I got a loan, I went hat in hand to my parents, a very humble fucking experience for me. I was able to quit the part-time job, finally take some advice from people on how to manage my budget and realized I was doing it all wrong my entire life. And then I was able to build my business to the point where I'm still in debt significantly with my parents. But I'm paying off the loan now and I've got a handle on this money. I, I know how to play this game now. I'm not rich, but money doesn't own my decision making. It doesn't stop me doing what I want. I live a lifestyle that I fucking love. I've, I've been traveling all over the place. My girlfriend doesn't work. I'm paying for both of us. And I'm doing that on very little money. It helps the Czech Republic's cheap as fuck. But that's part of playing the game. I found a country that works for the way I want to do things. You know, I know if, uh, if I put my girlfriend on planning a trip for Bali, I don't know if she could do it for $200, but she'd probably do it for 500 You know, there's websites and stuff. And actually, personally, if you are interested in pursuing that, I'll flick you through the websites where you get cheap flights and stuff. Um, rather than thinking like, how can I get more money to afford it? Think, what kind of creative shit would I need to do to be able to do it with the money I have right now? How would I get creative with the way I spend my time, with uncomfortable conversations, with borrowing and trading and bargaining and dealing and delaying payments and so on? Just to free your mind from the idea that money needs to be the stable, safe thing. Dominic says, I was contracting as a digital nomad for the last two years. So I didn't want to get serious about it, make it my source of income. Your wife's dependent on you as well. So I asked myself, should I continue the game or go to a cheaper country? Well, there's lots of options there that you've got to explore. And one of them, of course, in a partnership is 
what's the other person going to do too? You know, what uncomfortable conversations might need to happen there? For example, my girlfriend helps me with my work. So while she doesn't literally bring in income, the work she does allows me to bring in more income. So we become a team there. By the time you're 30, you will have learned something to the level that you can teach it. There's always money to be made there. You might think there's something that you do is easy for you, but there are people who are just getting started who don't know how to do it, and they will pay you to learn. There's always a way, you know? And ironically, all the rich people I talk to, they do not talk about saving money. They talk about learning how to make more of it, or more importantly, how to spend less of it, you know? Minimalism. Another challenge I have for you is to figure out if you only had $50 a week, how would you live on it? How would you survive? I want you to be able to picture clearly in your head how you would survive being broke, being in poverty. And it doesn't have to be the smooth, graceful thing. It can include crashing on a friend's couch, borrowing money from your parents, Fuck stealing food from a farm. I don't care what the plan is. The idea is just to free your mind from the idea that money is this be-all and end-all. To see that there are ways around it, through it, under it. How to spend other people's money instead of your own, and so on. The whole point of this conversation is just to free you from the grip of money. Money does not own you unless you think it does, and then it does. It's only true once it's true, right? It's once I believe in money that it becomes real. But there are tribes out there, isolated tribes, there's still a few that exist, probably not for much longer, who live completely independent of of currency. They have different systems. They have tribes where everyone just is, is, is expected to pitch in equally. You can even see this in like the Amish community. Everyone builds the barn together. Nobody's paid to build a barn. But humans can function without finances. You see like there's, there's different uh, communities that look at money differently. The, the Jewish community is an interesting one. They've got this kind of uh, rule where they, can buy, they buy stuff from each other, but they sell stuff to outsiders. It's one of the reasons that there's that kind of um, stereotype about Jewish people being rich. It's not exactly a stereotype. It's kind of true because they know how to make sure that extra money comes in, but any money they spend just goes to each other. Their community thrives. You can do this with your friends and family. If you look at your entire network, your kind of three degrees of separation, Brojo community is a great example of this. There's somebody out there who will trade what you want for what they want. Or somebody who, if you work, and this is one of the things I want to develop with Brojo in the longer term, is that you aim to work within the community, so even if you're spending money, you know it will probably come back to you. It will just flow through everyone as they use it and pass it on. You know? And the question I really I want to end with for you guys, something to just meditate on. What things in your life are very valuable free or even just for cheap what are things that are really meaningful and worthwhile to you that you don't have to spend money to enjoy 
people think, oh, I need to travel the world. It's like, well, have you actually looked around your own city yet? You know? I get this in New Zealanders all the time. Like, oh, I'm off to Europe. Like, have you ever been to South Island? Oh, what the fuck? Have you actually been to the beaches? You know, have you been to all the bushes yet? Traveling doesn't have to be expensive. I used to go traveling every weekend by just driving somewhere and going for a walk. It was different every time. A conversation with someone that you care about, as cheesy as this may sound, that's free and it's far more valuable than the motorbike you buy than never use. Or the special dining set that you only bring out for the company and you never even fucking look at it half the year. What you're spending your money on is most likely going to be crap you never use. What are you guys' final thoughts on all of this? When you think about money, in particular your own special situation, what would need to change for you to make money less of a force of negativity and more of a tool? What comes up? Dominic says, I know that I can achieve my goal to start my business. I need some more time to plan and figure out where I can live to make the start easier. What I'd suggest is start and then figure out how to make it easier. The start can be a single action with no obligation to continue. It could be reaching out to a single client and offering a single service. It could be designing a prototype product and creating it. Then allow the business to push you where it needs to push you. Just like my business kind of ended up, well, my whole lifestyle ended up pushing me to Europe. I, I had to get started before that. I was coaching people while I was still a full-time employee. You know, that's and my business helped me figure out how to earn more money and everything because it required certain things from me. Excellent. Peter says, I think it is a tool for me. However, more of it would be a more efficient tool. Think of it as rather than the plumber saying I need more spanners or bigger spanners to be a better plumber, I think I need to be a more skilled plumber with the spanners I have. I really push you, Peter, to rather think that I need more money to be better with money, just cut out the more money bit. I need to figure out how to be better with money. I need to be somebody who can go to Bali on $200. You can actually research that very topic to give you, get you started. There are people who travel the world for a dollar a day. Figure out how they do it. Because they, they literally do it. It doesn't mean you'll want to do it their way. Just like when I read 4-Hour Workweek, I didn't actually want to only work 4 hours a week. But it taught me a lot of very interesting things about money. Someone says, I have a client in Switzerland, but I don't have much time right now with my full-time job, self-development, and relationship goals. 
to find the right balance for me. Exactly. Here's the answer. How do I find the balance? You know? But more importantly, and this is, this is more of a different topic, but supernova, how do I combine these things? How do I make self-development and working with my client happen at the same time? You know, like being bold with a client, being creative with a client, you know? Or how do I work, say, with a relationship? How do I use the building of a business to also build my relationship with my wife? Can we do things together in a way that strengthens our connection? So I call supernova. How do I do two things in the same second rather than having to compartmentalize them? Um, I've just put a couple of resources in there for you guys. These are my favorite ones on changing your perspective on money. First one, The Richest Man in Babylon is the most simple budgeting book I've ever read and it's so helpful. And it's written in a, like a fictional story way. Apparently it's based on um, some ancient Babylonian tablets that were discovered by an archaeologist that were the journal of somebody who was owing money and paying it off. And they realized he had a system of money that worked really well because this guy had gone and spoken to all the richest men in the, in the village. But what it does is it gives you these kind of seven rules to follow when it comes to playing with money. Something like uh, you always pay yourself 10% of anything you earn and nobody else is allowed to touch it. That money's never allowed to leave you unless it's an investment that's going to come back with more money that the next 20% of your income goes to paying off debts and then the rest basically goes into having a good time. It was kind of this, uh, these rules around money that if you follow them over time, they have very long, great long-term benefits without you having to lose quality of life or getting drowned in debt. Um, but Rich Dad Poor Dad is a great book that looks at the difference between the mindsets of somebody who does very well with money versus somebody who's controlled and owned by money. Um, that being said, it's also written by a person who values money a lot, but you'll see that he can take great risks with it and everything. Um, and what was the other one I want to think? Uh, I will teach you to be rich. Uh, I can't remember the authors of these. Uh, rich Dad Poor Dad is Robert Kiyos, uh, Kiyosaki. I will teach you to be rich as Ramatsethi or something. Um, but this is a book, it's a more complicated book on financial management, on how to like make sure you get out of credit card debt and all the shit that, all the worst shit that people do and how to like the beginner's guide to investing without having to understand the stock market particularly deeply and stuff like that. Those are all helpful books. But most importantly, the, the, the last thing I want to say to you guys here, It's, it's your beliefs. It was, this was true for me. Like money caused me anxiety, fluctuating moods, frustration, aggression, hopelessness, not because of how much I had. That was irrelevant. It would, you know, I could have anxiety about only 10 grand in my bank account or minus 500. I'd have the same anxiety. The amount of money was irrelevant. It was my beliefs how I perceived money that caused me all my suffering. And after quite literally traveling the world on fuck all money and while being in debt, it's taught me that like what I used to think money was is totally a fiction. It's a total lie. You know, 
It's the only thing that really needs to change. You don't need more money in your bank account. You need a different perspective on money. And then you'll see it for what it really is. So have a look at those three things that we talked about. How much money do you actually need to survive? What does it mean to be valuable without money? And see money as a tool as, rather than something that's valuable in and of itself, which is not true. And use those exercises that we came up with at the end there to kind of change the way you think about money. How could you go to Bali for $200? How could you start a business when you've got no time? rather than waiting for those questions to be answered by money. Yeah. Alrighty, lads, let's wrap it up there. I really appreciate you guys contributing your ideas and everything and uh, encourage you to think about this. I'd also recommend the documentary Minimalism. You can see that on Netflix or pirated somewhere if you want to save your money. Um, that's a good one to show like how little you actually need to have a quality life and how you can free up your money from pointless stuff into stuff that actually is worthwhile. And let's see how you guys go with that. So appreciate the discussion and I will catch you all next time. Cool. All right. Catch you later.